right, everybody, let's find a seat, get back to our places, and uh, we're going to get into the Word of God. Who's ready for God's Word today? All right, half of us are, so that'll be good. At least give me something to aim after. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I know today is a unique day, different day, because the Cubs are going to the World Series, right? Uh, <laughs> the, the Cubs fans are all on this side. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, hey, he can really hear. That's just a joke. If he says he can't hear, that's, he's playing us up on that. Miracles still happen, that's right, yeah. Well, anyway, um, but it is a unique day. It was Fall Family Fun Day for us as a church family, just celebrating this season and what it means. And um, more than the, than the natural, we are believing for greater spiritual harvest of people to come to know the Lord in our day, in our time, in our city, in our community, and uh, where we live, work, and where we play. So, uh, well, listen, I love a lot of costumes. We're going to have a chance to just hang out, fellowship right after. Um, and so I uh, promise I'll be done by 2 o'clock preaching. So the hot dogs, the chili should be real ready by that time. And uh, no, I'm kidding, we'll, we'll be done way before that. But um, listen, let me invite you to open up the Bible uh, to uh, Nehemiah, Old Testament Nehemiah. It's where, where I've been hanging out the last few weeks. And uh, we've been doing a, a teaching uh, on uh, the, one particular part of this story that revolves around the rebuilding and the repairing of the Jerusalem's walls and gates and what the uh, spiritual meaning is for that. Anything that God does always has a spiritual meaning and it has a personal meaning. Anytime God has something laid out in his word, anytime he does anything, it has more meaning than just the natural thing that we read about historically. And so we're looking at these things here. And um, can, Carl, can you put the picture up for me real fast? And then we'll jump back to these scriptures. Uh, I just want to give you a mental uh, image uh, briefly. This is what Jerusalem looked like as far as uh, an overhead view of, of, of the city with the walls and the gates back in Nehemiah's time. Um, the people, just a quick up, update there, uh, is that God's people, the children of Israel, were coming out of um, captivity in, in Babylon. And they were going back to their home and going back to resettle. And the Bible calls them remnants. And they were, they were given a, a mission, and that was to repair and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and to repair and rebuild the gates. There are ten gates, as you can see, uh, all around that particular city, uh, starting in the top right-hand corner where it says Sheep Gate, and then you work your way around to counterclockwise and go back to the left and come back around. We've been going through these different gates and um, talking about them and, and discovering God's greater spiritual meaning about those and how they apply to our life. So we've covered all the way from Sheep Gate all the way to Fountain Gate on the bottom right, Today we're going to pick up at the Watergate, not the uh, scandal uh, with Nixon. Uh, but uh, uh, but there, there, there's, a, there's a redemptive power at work, praise God. Uh, so, um, uh, but anyway, we're going to start there today. Let me, let me turn your attention to the scriptures in Nehemiah 1. They'll be on the screen as well. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In late autumn, in the fall, kind of like right now where we are at, Nehemiah says that um, he was at the fortress of Susa and Hanani, one of his brothers, came to visit him, he said, and with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them, Nehemiah said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going 
in Jerusalem. He just asked a simple question, hey, how are things going for you? How are things going for our friends? How are things going for our brothers and sisters? How are things going? A question you and I ask others, each other all the time, and a question we get asked from other people. How are things? And the typical answer for most of us is good. I'm good. I'm all right. I'm all right. Fine. Thank you very much. But really, what is really going on? Okay, what's really happening underneath? Uh, sadly, we live in a society that masquerades our problems, right? And, and we're afraid to come out with anything that we might be struggling with or dealing with for, for whatever reason, for fear of shame, fear of rejection, uh, fear of accusation, uh, fear of per being perceived as weak, uh, being perceived as a weirdo, or, or whatever it might be. Uh, but, uh, but then, so Nehemiah was getting this information. He asked, hey, how are things going? So he got an answer, verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned. They are in great trouble and great distress. And here's what he says. He said, the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, Nehemiah said, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept and I mourned. In fact, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to be together. Thank you for the beautiful weather you've blessed our part of the country with today. And we uh, don't take that for granted. We're thankful for it, Lord. Thank you for our family, God, a church family who uh, has come together to worship you, to hear your word, and to be and to receive what it is you have to say to us today, Lord. I know we got a lot of things on the plans to have fun and have fellowship and enjoy um, one another and enjoy this time outside together in this season. But for these next few minutes, I pray and ask that we would be able to give you our undivided attention, that we would be able to give you our earnest devotion, Lord, as we hear from your word. God, speak to our hearts. God, speak to our lives. And we know that anything you have to say is for our good. It's for our good. So, Lord, help us to hear that. Help us to receive that. And in so doing, may our lives be a reflection of honor and worship and praise and glory to your great name so that we can show our city, show our families, show our community that, God, you're real and your love is powerful. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Well, listen, like I said, talking about this story, uh, it's called Remnants, Repairs, and Rebuilders. And when I, was, uh, when I first got saved um, over 25 years ago, I immediately, one of the first things that I sensed inside was that I immediately sensed that I had a purpose Immediately, one of the first things that I, I discovered was that God would, had birthed within me a sense of destiny and a sense of purpose. Up until that time frame, it was just about wondering and, and, and trying to figure life out and trying to understand what is the meaning of all of this? What, what is the meaning behind, you know, the story of life and the meaning of life? What is this? Surely there's something good for me. Surely there's something great for my life. And as soon as I surrendered my life to Jesus and became born again, and I remember just immediately, just there was this sense 
of, of purpose and destiny that, that just flooded my heart, that captivated my attention, that just seemed to just kind of swell up within me that I don't know exactly what it is, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with life, but I know there is, there is a purpose to me, there is a purpose to life, and that God has something to do with it. And, and that is exactly what happens to any person who gives their life fully to Jesus Christ is there is a, a, a birthing of this sense and this awareness of purpose and destiny that God puts inside of us that he awakens and he brings to light and he brings to life that you were created on purpose and you were created for purpose and that the Bible says that even before you were created in your mother's room God says I knew you and I know the plans that I have for you and you were fearfully and you were wonderfully made in fact God says in the scripture Psalm 139 that I've already written down your history I've already written down the pages of your life of what I have planned for you and and Jeremiah even goes on to say uh, out coming out of Babylon he says God says I know the plans I have for you says God I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to give you a future and to give you a hope plans to not take you down but plans to build you up plans to take you forward and not push you back plans to make your life make sense again because many times Anytime you and I go through life and go through challenges and go through changes and go through problems, trials. We talked a little bit about this last week about the valleys and the valley gate and what that means. That we are faced with, okay, what is going to come out of this? How can I make it through this? And if I make it through this, then what's going to come out of it? What good can possibly be around the corner for me? Well, friend, I told you, as I told you last week, God's purpose, God's destiny for your life is in front of you. It's ahead. It's not behind. It's in front of you. So anybody here who's wrestling with their past, anybody here who's struggling with, with, their, with their mistakes that they've made, Maybe you just continuously feel beat up on the inside and have regret, maybe have shame. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when your life is in Christ Jesus, he takes away the condemnation, the regret, and the shame. Now, I know that's probably easier stated and said than actually done the way we might feel sometimes, but that is where you have to have faith to believe that God is bigger than anything you wrestle with, than any sin or any issue, any mistake, any struggle that you have ever had in your life. God is bigger and he is greater. His love is powerful and his love is mesmerizing and his forgiveness goes deep and it goes wide. In fact, his, deep, his forgiveness goes way back and reaches to the far back and forgives everything. And he helps secure you for the future. Whoever that is for today. In general, it's for all of us. But I believe there's somebody here today who needed to hear that. Now listen, we're talking about these gates and these walls. Hear me quickly tell you the whole purpose of this. You see the picture of this city. You see the walls around it and the gates. Right in the middle, it's got a, a little square dot. It says temple. That is just in, 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 in uh, symbolizing God's presence in the center of this city. And so you take this picture and, you, and then what you do is you put your life there. That's your life. That's our life. And in the center is where God's, his presence wants to dwell. 
He wants to be, in other words, he wants to be the center of our life. And when he's the center of our life, he has a way of making all things come together and work out for good. And when he's the center of our life, he has a way of making things that don't make sense make sense. He, may, he brings sense out of confusion. In fact, in the very beginning, in Genesis 1-1, right at the beginning, he says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it said the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was all over the place. But his spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And it said, and when he spoke, let there be light. There came light. And then there began the process of, of creation. Days one, two, three, four, five, and six. And day seven, he rested from his work. But all of those days of creation speak to when there was confusion and chaos that existed. God's word changed and brought meaning, brought significance, brought order brought purpose to what was there. It just needed God to be the center. And then when God is the center, Colossians says he holds all things together. He holds all things together. And so, so anyway, we're talking about this. You picture your life there, God being the center of your life. And when God's the center of your life, you've got these, what, we, what the uh, city shows as walls. The walls are not just for defense or boundary markers, but what that shows is this, is that we ensure that whatever we do with our life, we're going to do this. We're going to keep God at the center. We're going to keep God at the center. We're going to make sure he does not move. We're going to make sure he does not shift or change from us. Now, he himself does not change. He himself does not move. But in our hearts, we're going to keep him center. And then you got the gates. The gates simply speak to this purpose. They speak to our purpose. Every, all these gates have uh, natural meaning, so the people would go in and out, in and out, in and out of these gates, meaning their life would go in and out, in and out, meaning our life has movement, our life is mobile, our life is active, meaning our life has purpose. Okay, everybody say purpose. Our life has purpose. Some of you are already thinking about the chili and the hot dogs and, and the brownies, and um, they'll be there in a few minutes, I promise. And so we've been talking about the purpose behind these. And today, let's pick up real quick at the water gate. The water gate. Um, these are all references. See these little numbers beside there, 326. That means chapter 3 of Nehemiah, verse 26. And um, I'm just quickly read that just so you know it's in there. It says, And with the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, who repaired the wall as far as a point across from the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. And so... They were in the process of rebuilding and repairing these walls and these gates. They were, in other words, they were making sure that they were going to keep God at the center of their life. They were making sure that they were going to have strong purpose for what God wanted for their lives. The water gate, here's what that pictures. The water gate pictures the word of God. For you and I, it means this, it means the word of God, it's a, it's, uh, the effect that God's word has on our life and in our life. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking and he, and he is describing the context and the relationship between a husband and wife and their love for one another. And he relates that, he said, the way Christ also loved the church and how he washed her, the church, with the word of God. The washing of the word of our lives by God. And so it, it speaks to this, it speaks to cleaning, it speaks to cleansing, it speaks to purifying, it speaks to making holy. In other words, God's word washes us, God's word cleanses us, God's word purifies our life. And uh, let me 
let me, uh, if you're writing notes, taking notes, Psalm 119, verse 9, the Bible says this, how can a person stay pure? How can a person be pure? And the answer is by obeying your word. Psalm 119, 11, one of the first verses I ever memorized when I became a Christian over 25 years ago, says, I have hidden your word, O God, in my heart, that I might not sin against you. God's word purifies us. How any of the struggles and any, any of the things, you don't, have to, don't raise your hand on this, but it, at any given point in life, do you ever feel dirty? You don't have to raise your hand. See, I've got these special glasses on and I can see what's in everybody's mind. That's how these preachers do it today. That's, that's how we make it, you know. No, I'm kidding. But God does. God knows. But we all maybe feel guilty, dirty at times. Some things we've done. Some things we've said. Some actions we've had. Thoughts even that we've had. But God's word makes us clean. You see, here's the big big lie out there today or it's been around for a long time actually thousands of years is that is God is up in heaven with a huge sledgehammer waiting to pulverize you when you make mistakes so don't you ever don't don't ever admit you got a problem don't ever admit you're you, you you're you're dirty don't ever admit you're guilty don't ever admit you're stained because God man he's ready to smite you it's a lie God waiting to welcome us God is waiting to receive us and when we call on him and we look to him and we see the reflection in his word we see that God is about all about making us good because you and I are not good in our own time in our own merit in our own way only God can do that in fact there's only one who's ever lived who was perfect and that's Jesus Christ the son of God the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of this world, who came to take away the stain, the dirt of our lives. And so God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful because it cleanses us, it purifies us. Look at this, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12, if you're writing notes. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. Did you catch that? God's word able to cut between soul and spirit. There's no surgeon on the planet, the best there ever is, that could ever cut between soul and spirit. The soul, that's, our, that's where we, that's the personality of our heart, of our life. That's where everything it, it stems from, the soul of a human being. And God's word is able to cut. God's word is able to cut. It says that even between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. What is that? God's word has a way of getting into the heart of us, right into the very core of our being. And he's able, by his word, he's able to cut things out of us that we don't need. Cut things away from our lives that we, that we carry, that we uh, tend to think is, is valuable, is important, but there are things in our life, every single one of us have stuff that, 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 that lives and breathes on the inside of our souls that's toxic for us, that's not good for us. How do we change that? How does that make it? How do we have transformation? God's Word. God's Word. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Bible says, Paul says, hey, stop 
counterfeiting your life. Stop making yourself live like this world. He said, be changed, be renewed. How? In your mind. How do we get renewed in our mind? By God's word. And when we're renewed in our mind, when we have God's word actively working in our life, then it says then we can, we'll be able to prove that what God's will is. It's good, it's perfect, and it's acceptable. You'll never know what God's will is for your life. You'll never know the meaning of life as far as how God sees it unless you are allowing the word of God to penetrate your heart and make changes where there needs to be changes. Amen? Look at, listen to this, 1 Peter 1, what he talks about the word. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, You have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life, your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Beauty is like a flower in the field. And the grass withers and the flower fades. So, he says, people are like grass. You w- that means you will wither, we will wither. Your beauty is like a flower, and flower fades. So we will, f- we will wither, and our beauty will fade. It won't last forever. So all the stuff you and, and this, all of us that we do in this world to make ourselves some kind of a thing for somebody, I'm not saying it's wrong or it's unjustified, I'm just saying it ain't going to last forever. You might have heard it said this way. Um, beauty is skin deep, but ugliness is to the bone. <laughs> That's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. He said, the word of the Lord, though, remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. What am I getting at? I'm getting at, what does this mean with the water gate? It means this, the word of God needs to be strong. And uh, uh, sh- the strongest thing working in our lives because here's the deal you and I will never know guidance direction wisdom of any kind we'll never know how to deal with whatever problem or issue or sin whatever it is in our life we'll never be able to really get it and conquer it and overcome it and live like Jesus says to live as more than a conqueror as an overcomer because you and I are not called to live as weaklings and and defeated people no we're called to live above that we're called in Christ Jesus come on he came to save the world he came to save us and rescue us and redeem us and give us hope again and if if that's the case then he he has called us to win he's called us and made it a way to where you and I can live victoriously over stuff that this world has to offer us and that our flesh falls for you and I can do this thing we can win we can overcome we can live as more than conquerors but God's word has got to be perfect in our life it's got to be working in our life it's got to be active in our life for to know the things the different things about God's word it's active it's powerful it's sharp it cuts it lasts forever it purifies none of that will matter if it's not taken and then worked into our life applied to our life so we got to do whatever you and whatever we can to get God's word in us the more God's word is in us the more God is in us And the more that God is in us, the more this world will see that God is real, his love is powerful, and Jesus Amen? He's good. He's good. Look at this, Matthew 7. This is what Jesus says about his word. He said this, Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a person who built a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. 
the alternative. Anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, is like a person who built a house on sand. And when the rains fl- and, the fl- and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, we have a choice, obviously. How are we going to build our life? How will our life be built? What will it be built on? I mean, who would choose to just build it on sand when we know when water comes and the, and, and the winds come, it's just going to collapse? Who would do that? People, we do it all the time. Parts of our life is not on the rock. It's just on partial foundation, sand, and it'll soon be eroded. It'll soon fall. And Jesus says, hey, if you hear my word and you do it, you follow it, it doesn't mean, hey, you're going to be perfect at it. It doesn't mean you're not going to fall. It doesn't mean you're not going to trip or you're not going to stumble. That's going to happen. That's guaranteed. So you and I need to just get over fear of failing, fear of falling, fear of making mistakes, because that's going to happen. That's why we have the great Redeemer, the great Savior, Jesus, who forgives us when we call out to him and we come to him and we ask him for that. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, John tells us, First John tells us. Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So we have him on our side to do that. But we have to make sure we are aiming to build our life on his word. And we build our life on his word, then we'll be like the wise person who built their life on the bedrock, on the rock that is stable. So when the storms of life come, and they come to everybody, when the winds of life come, they come at everybody. When all of these things happen, our life won't collapse like cards, like a house of cards. But our life will sustain it. Our life will endure it. Come on, how many times have you and I just, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many times, honestly, have, have we collapsed? How many times have we fallen over? How many times have we, have we fallen down as a result of allowing other things besides God's word to be great in us? to be strong in us, to be alive in us, to be powerful in us. You see, you'll never have faith unless you have God's word. If you want to have faith for something, you've got to have God's word because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is what will build your faith. God's word is what will give you hope. God's word is what will make you believe bold and big things. Come on, anybody ever had any faith for anything? Come on, talk. I know. I know. We got some hot dogs and chili waiting. It's it's good. It's warm. It's gonna be all right. Okay, we're gonna get there in a minute. But listen, how many of you need some faith to believe that I'm gonna let you out in a little bit to go eat? <laughs> Come on. Who, any believers believe that? I know there's a lot of Cubs fans, Cub believers out there. They're believing hard for their Cubbies. Breaking the curse. That's exactly what God's word does. It breaks the curse. God's word breaks the curses in our life. Things that, come on, amen that. Anything, any, anything that's been passed on to you, passed down to you, or anything you've done that's initiated bad things, awful things, evil things in your life, guess what? God's word breaks the curse of that, breaks the power of that to where it, will no, it renders it inoperative in your life. Amen? Now here's the deal came across this the other day, or a while back, I've kept it, and shared this with uh, my 10-year-old yesterday, and thought she thought it was pretty cool. The shortest chapter in the Bible, talking about God's Word, the shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117, two verses. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, we just read out of it, it's got like 170-something verses, I think, in it. Uh, now i got to know, because I'm factual that way, 176. 
What chapter is in the center of the Bible? Take it all, split it down the middle, Psalm 118. Psalm 118. There's 594 chapters before Psalm 118. There's 594 chapters after Psalm 118. If you add those numbers together, you get 1,188. The middle of the Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8, 1,188. What does that say? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So we're 31,000 verses, the very center of the verse, Psalm 118.8, better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The very center of the verse. Folks, that's where God wants to be. He wants to be in the center. Psalm 118, verse 8. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Keeping God at the center. Now, here's a, here's a huge result that you and I ha- are, are living off the benefit of today. Back from in the 1600s to the early 1900s, God's word went on a rampage in a good way across continents, across this globe through preachers. Up until that time, it was you had the Reformation, and then you had you had this time where it just opened up uh, just these ma- massive avenues for the for the preaching of God's word, for the cleansing of God's word to go across these continents of our of our of our world. You got guys like Jonathan Edwards in the early seventeen. In the mid 1700s, he was a revivalist. He was, you might have heard of these guys, some of you might have. He was a part of the first great awakening. And one of his most classic sermons that was turned into a, uh, into a classic literature was titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You got guys like George Whitefield around the same time frame. The, early to mid-1700s. He was a, one of the founders of Methodism and the evangelical movement that, it, that happens, that's taking place. He was also part of this Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, when I speak to that, what I basically mean by that, you've heard, some of you have been around the block a few times, you know the word revival. The great, one of the great, first Great Awakenings, second Great Awakening, the time where God's word and God's spirit sweeps across the lands of this world and so many people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Just like this, it was like a wave of people coming to the Lord. In the 1600s, you got a guy named John Bunyan. One of his most classic literary works known as Pilgrim's Progress. He was a huge, huge minister to the Puritans back in the 1600s. You got guys like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Anybody ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the 1800s. He was a pastor. He cataloged over 3,600 sermons in his time. He preached to over 10,000 people every week in his church. And the guy was, I feel like, was probably way ahead of his time in the sense of, of his vision and his, his ability to communicate the, the gospel and, 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 and meet with people. In fact, it was said that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, over the 3,600 sermons he preached, over 10,000 people every week, never gave one altar call. 
And it was said that he said this, if you want to know Christ and you want to follow him more, then you meet me tomorrow morning. Without fail, somebody always showed up that said, I want to know him. I want to follow him. So I'm not giving any more altar calls for the rest of my life. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. That was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You guys have got a name. Yeah, you might know this guy, William Seymour. William Seymour, he was the son of former slaves. He was a preacher, he was a revivalist. And he was one of the initiators of the Azusa Street Revival in California. Just came across up on how many anniversaries now is that? Gosh, a lot. A <laughs> hundred and something years now. Uh yeah, 1906, 7, 8, and so just about 110 years old uh, of this revival, and people still speak of it today. It had such impact, these, these men, and there was many more. You got, you got people like, the, like uh, Amy Simple McPherson, who was a pastor, started what's called the Four Square Denomination, the Four Square Church in California. She had... Tons of people that came every week and hear her preach. And she was a, a, a healer as well. God used her mighty in healing. Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you heard of him. Man, that guy, some people thought he was crazy. Because here's what he would happen. Come here, Jeremy. I'm really not going to do it to you because I don't want to get kicked or hit or be like, dang. But here's what would happen. Somebody would come to his meetings, let's say, with a, with a stomach issue. Here's what he would do in his day. He would hit them where they were hurting. And people, he would, it was said of him, he said, people would call me uh, that I didn't have much compassion, that I, that I didn't really have any care for people. And he said, it wasn't that at all. He said, they didn't realize what I saw was not the person, but what the person was dealing with, the problem from the enemy that was in their life. And so when I punched, I wasn't punching the person, I was punching the problem. It must have worked because every, almost everybody left healed in his meetings. But man, I mean, he would just come out of you tightened up on me. Yeah. Tightened up on me. <laughs> These guys had such success. These people had such success, not for their own glory, but because it was God's word that was going out. That's how much, that's how powerful and how alive God's word is, friend. Whatever problem you got going on, whatever issue you got you're facing in your life, whatever struggle that you're dealing with every day listen God's word is powerful God's word is sharp and God's word is able to cut it God's word is able to go in and divide it and cut it out of your life and help you live victoriously for him friend I don't know what it is that you might face that you might deal with it you might need wisdom you might have physical ailment you you just might have other secret things going on in your heart but let me tell you this when you begin to put God's word at the center of your life and you keep him center in your life and you read God's word, you devote yourself to God's word and you welcome God's word in your life, here's what happens. Your life will not stay the same. It will not stay the same because God's word goes in and cuts and it divides and it heals. God's word comes in and it plants seed of hope and it fertilizes by his spirit, and he brings forth a blossom of righteousness in your life. How can a person become pure? How can a person walk the narrow way? 
by obeying God's word. See, this is not just some book. It's not just some historical history book that continues to outsell all other books. This book is more than 31,000 and some odd hundred verses. This book is God's See, the more you know it, the more you know, that's exactly right, the more you grow. The more you grow, the further you will go. The further you go, the stronger you will be. And the stronger that you will be will determine the difference that you will make for eternity. Life is not measured by the years that we live on this earth, life is measured by eternity. So whether you believe it or not, it's the truth. We're either going to live forever in complete joy, in perfect peace, where there will no longer be crying and pain and suffering and injustice, Because our King Jesus will come back. It's promised. We're going to get to that in another week or so. That he's coming back. And he hasn't forgotten us. And when he comes back, he will rule this world once and for all in harmony, in peace, in love. The flip side of that, if you don't believe that, if you don't put your faith in that, then you will live for eternity suffering. Think about your worst period of suffering in your life. I had the stomach flu two weeks ago. I thought I was dying. I mean, it felt so bad. It just, if you've had it, you know what that's like. If that's the worst I've ever felt, and I multiply that upon a number I can't even think of, that is hell. Who in their right mind would sign up for that? Sign up for what God offers love because hell is absent of love heaven is full of love and when we keep God at the center of our life and we welcome him at the center of our life and we put his word at work in our life friend here's the deal you're going to live whatever period of life you have and you're living on trajectory for Jesus Christ it's the best way it's the best way so here what can you do what can we do to get God's word active alive center in our life one, for starters, read it. Read it. If you've been blessed with the ability to read, read the Word of God. Here's a challenge. Is to read the Bible all the way through one time every five years. If you don't read it, at least get it on audio to get it in your ears. Somehow, whatever gate you're going to use, the eye gate or your ear gate, to get it into your heart. You're going to be surprised that the more of the Word of God you know, and the more you know in context, here's what happens. The more your life becomes stronger. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow, the further you go. The further you go, the stronger you'll be. The stronger you'll be, the difference you'll make for eternity. 
That's what God wants. He wants you to make a difference for eternity. He wants you to make a difference not just for you and your household, but he wants you to make a difference for people all around you because people's lives are hanging in the balance for you and I to make God center and keep him center and show them that when God is center, we're going. We're going to make it. We're going to do what God wants. Amen? Anybody with me? Everybody follow me? So read the word. Get in a devotional of some kind. Get a 365 devotional. Get a 31-day devotional of, of something. We put out devotionals about two or three times a year. Whatever you got to do, get a devotional to get in the Word of God. There's all kinds of, de- of devotionals. There's another guy in this, uh, uh, between that period of 16 to 1900 who was, who was a, a preacher and, and spoke God's Word, and that was um, Charles, uh, what was the name? No, Oswald Chambers, that's it. Oswald Chambers, Oswald Chambers. Uh, he's got a famous book, some of you know, that his wife published after his death, My Utmost for His Highest. 365-day devotional. Get in, get somewhere, do something to get your life, not just acquainted and familiarized, but get your life in the book. Get your life in the book and do a study of some kind. Of some kind. Join a Bible study. We offer Bible studies. Other churches offer Bible studies. Get into a designed Bible study, or you can always do this. You can always go back, click download on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, and pick the sermon for that day or that week or back in the months past, and get it down. Download it, listen to it, study it, read it, listen to it, go to the scriptures. Amen? I know I'm not telling you like some, you know, like, wow, that's a real magical pill you're giving me. I know, but it... um, only you can do it. If you want to get over your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups, if you want to break fear, if you want to do, destroy strongholds, if you want to get a better idea of God's will for your life, friend, it's, 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 it's right here. It's, it's right here. It's up, it's up to you and me. Amen. Let's move on quickly. Close out with this, this. This gate right here, the horse gate. Going from water to horse, you can Lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. But, so what's the big deal with the horse gate? It's a gap from the water gate to the horse gate, and then the, you see the other three, the other two gates there, the east gate and the inspection gate on the uh, far right-hand top corner. But the horse gate was where the kings and the, and the armies horses would come in and go out and they would go out of that gate for battle that's where they would come out of they would go out of that horse gate that's exactly what it was for to go into battle the horse gate gives us the picture and speaks to us of spiritual warfare because horses were used in battle and they became a symbol of war take this for instance revelation last book of the bible revelation 19 verse 11 John said, and then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Spiritual warfare, it's not something I know that we don't hear a lot of sometimes. We don't talk about a lot sometimes. But we are all in a battle, whether we know it or not. Spiritual warfare is a part of, of life. And uh, whether and it's best to be on the winning side of knowing Jesus because that guarantees victory, guarantees a win, 
And I don't know anybody that wakes up and says, sign me up to lose today. God, I wake up today and I just want to suck at life. And I want to lose. I want every problem to get the best of me. I want every person who to irritate me. I, I, I want my boss to jump down my throat and tell me how bad of a job I'm doing so that my feelings will get hurt and then, you know, I'll get all upset and start cussing him out, her out, or whoever it is. You know, nobody wakes up with that kind of men- mentality. If you do, I need to really pray for you. Uh, I'd love to uh, pray with you because there is a better way. But we don't, all, we don't just wake up with that in mind. No, we, we, we hopefully wake up with, a, with, a, with hope. We hopefully wake up with the idea that I hope today's better than yesterday at least. Uh, at least I hope Monday this week, man, oh God, I hope this week's better than last week, you know, and stuff like that. But here's the deal. I think down inside we have a measure of fear. what's waiting what's out there this week what is going to rear its ugly head this week what's going to try to come against me this week and so most of the time I think we we live on the defense and we don't live on the offense we live just kind of hoping to make it through the week with as little issue and rub and problem as possible But warfare, spiritual warfare, is inevitable to every believer. And we're in a battle whether we understand it or believe it or not. But I want you to understand it today. But here's what God's word tells us we are to do. Ephesians 6. I'll I'll finish with this here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. The apostle Paul writes, he says a final word. Appropriate as I'm finishing. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Did you catch that? Put on all of God's God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the wicked witch of the West. Uh, Long story. That you will be able to stand firm Against your nosy neighbor. Right? Is that, no? So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Plural strategies. Verse 12, 4, we are not fighting. Here, here's the clincher that... Christians, here we go. We got to remember this. All right? And I know we, we forget this a lot, myself included. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Right? Now, I know sometimes that's what we think, but it's not the case. Because what's behind it is this evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the part of the dimension of life that we can't see with our visible eyes, but God's word says it exists. Darkness evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. 
evil spirits in the unseen world. Now, what does that have to do with us? It means this. All of those things are associated and attached to the strategies of the devil. D-E-V-I-L. The devil. How many times have we heard or maybe even said, the devil made me do it? (laughs) Now, sometimes he must really not like you. And he takes your tongue and your mouth and makes you say things that you don't want to say. But nine times out of ten, we made ourselves do it. At the end of the day, we made ourselves do it. Now, we'll say this, because this gives, gives leadway. There are strategies of the devil that he does work against us. His main thing, he, know, he wants no one to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wants no one. But those who do say yes to Christ and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then he fights you. And his part of his strategies are to keep you from living holy for the Lord and righteous for God. Meaning, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you don't live in this world and be like this world. You're not acting like the world. You're acting like somebody who's really saved, like God. The godliness of his spirit working in us. And so he'll fight you and do those parts of those strategies or also... Parts of his strategies strategies are to keep you hopeless. To keep you hopeless, thinking that your situation in your life will never change. That there is possibly no way God can redeem you out of this pit that you're in. Out of this pain that you're in, out of this problem that you're in. So he'll try to keep you hopeless. And if he can keep you hopeless, and here's what happens. He gets to a place of his strategy to where he gets you to believe you have no purpose. And when a person gives up on purpose, they give up on life. Or they just sit isolated, secluded, and away from everything and anybody. They're just kind of a coaster. God, get this over with. Parts of the strategies of the devil. But those are things that you and I, we can't see with our own eyes, but there are oppressive spirits that exist that are evil and all they try to do is to do all those things I just said but what does Paul tell us to do therefore if you're gonna if you're gonna win if you're going I'm giving you the God's word here giving us the win strategy I mean it's an absolute W fly the W fly the W fly the fly the W fly the W fly the W a win in your life doesn't mean you won't have to fight for it. Doesn't mean you won't have to stand firm for it because he just got through telling us that's what we would have to do. But here's what he says. Put on, and therefore is there for a reason. Anytime you come across the therefore in the Bible, you see what the therefore is there for, okay? It's there because of this, because of what he just said. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against these principalities and powers and spirits that exist in the, in the evil heavenly places okay around us that's part we can't see therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil how about that God gives is giving us a surefire way to be flame resistant 
surefire way to make sure we're going to make it. You're going to stand. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna win. He says, then after the battle, see, there is a battle. There is a battle, and the battle is not a person. Battle, evil spirits that plague and attack. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. How about that? If you put on all of God's armor. Then he goes on to tell us what that is. Verse 14, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of this, hold up the shield of faith. There's faith. What does faith do? It says the faith, the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Then he says, verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Anybody ever dreamed about being in a sword fight? No? Like you just think, man, that would be awesome. I know what I would do there if I was that guy, if I was that person, I had my sword. (laughs) Movies are movies for a reason, and they have stunt doubles for a reason. I know. But we have... A sword, God's word. And then in verse 18 he says, Pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion. Not an occasion that we can't pray. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Here's this. For all believers everywhere. We don't just pray for us. Here's what I believe that last part of verse 18 stands for. Jeremy, I got to borrow you again, buddy. So, he's got all the, the armor of God on. He's got his tr- belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. He's got the shield of faith. He's got the uh, sword of the spirit. He's got his... The peace on his shoes. I mean, those are peaceful. Those are cool shoes. And he's got peace on his shoes, and he's praying, and he's he's standing. Uh, but it does says nothing about the back. So who's got your back? God does, but who does God expect to have each other's back too? And that happens when we pray for other believers. See, when we pray. When we pray for one another, it makes us mindful of the battle that they're going through. Aren't you glad that somebody else prays for you? I am. Aren't you? Come on, who's glad? Aren't you glad that somebody else prays for you? I dare say half, if not all of us, wouldn't even be in a church place today if there wasn't somebody somewhere that prayed for us somewhere some time ago. How cool is it when we know that one another we're praying for each other? Because when we pray for each other, we know we're mindful 
there's a battle. Man, God, there's a battle that my brother Jeremy's going through today. I know he's a believer. I know he loves you, and I know he's standing strong. But, Lord, whatever's going on today, I pray great strength today. I pray great faith for him today. I pray that no, no thing that ever comes against him today will prosper. But, God, you will rise up within him and favor him and bless him and strengthen him, Lord, in this hour, in this day of his life. And then you find out later, man... I had a battle going on, but I know somebody must have been praying for me because I was doing my part, but I needed the backup of the saints in my hood being with me today. Amen? Friend, that's how I believe. Thank you, Jeremy. That's how I believe God expects us to live to win the battle that we face. Is there anybody here today tired of losing battles? Am I talking to anybody here today? Is there anybody here you get sick and tired of losing some of the battles you face? Yeah. Well, we have the answer. You and I will face battles, but we are not meant to lose. Come on, we're just not meant to lose. That doesn't mean we walk around cocky and arrogant because that would defeat what one of, defy one of the things Paul tells us to be watchful. And we can't be watchful if we're prideful. Humility opens our eyes to the awareness and the reality of things that exist. But come on, I'm tired of losing some of the battles that I've been losing. I'm tired of allowing my flesh to get the best of me. I'm tired of allowing the devil to get his best of me. I'm tired of allowing things to get the best of me sometimes, aren't you? I'm tired of that. I want to live greater than that. I want to live bolder than what I've been living. I want to live stronger than what I've been living. I want to live more full of faith than I've been living. I want to live more on purpose than I've ever lived before. I want to know that I'm not living afraid, but I'm living of faith. Amen. Anybody with me today? I want to know that I'm living more of faith than I'm living of fear. I want to know that my habits and my hurts and my hangups aren't getting the best of me, and I'm not going to pass them on down to generation after generation, and my kids are going to have to walk in some of the stuff that I had to walk through and some of the stuff I had to tread through, but I want to break the power of the curse. I want to fly the W in my life, and I want to see the, God, the great goodness of my God be real in me, be real in my kids, and be real in my city, because there's still more people who need Jesus in this community. There's still more people who need the reality of Christ to come alive in them, and friend, God expects you and me and the church here in, G in, in Jackson to rise up and do our part and we can't do our part if we don't have God's word at work in our life and we don't face the things that we face and deal with the stuff we got to deal with because come on sooner or later time and time again it gets the best of us she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes and she comes and we're continuously dealing with the same old thing that keeps coming around the mountain and friend you and I need to get over it you and I need to overcome it. You and I need to get stronger. You and I need to get bolder than what we've ever had before. Come on, this is not a time to live isolated, to live in fear. I know the media has been good at forecasting fear for our nation. But God says, when a people who call me by my name and humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land and I will forgive their sin and I'll, I'll do the good that I've got destined for them and their lives will make sense. And another great awakening and another great revival, I believe, will sweep through this land. And here's what God wants to do it to you. 
He wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through your children. He wants to do it through your marriage. That's why your marriage can't suck anymore. That's why your marriage can't be bitten by hell anymore. Come on. That's why you can't be okay with the torment and the ailments of life anymore. You've got to rise up and you've got to be bold as a lion. And you've got to walk the path, the old godly way that God has for your life. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let me pray. It's 12. Got to get you out to the hot dogs and the chilies.